Manushinam sahasre su kaschidyayati siddhaye, yatatamapi siddhanam kaschidmam vititatvataha. Out of many thousands among men, one may endeavor for perfection, and of those who have achieved perfectionally, hardly one knows me in truth. Omajana trimanandasya, janajana salakaya, chakshur unmilitanyena, tasmai shi gurave namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Understanding Krishna. Here we're starting the seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, and Krishna is going to explain himself. And uh, this particular verse is very significant in that it gives some glimpse as to the rarity of truly understanding God as he is. There are many, many paths to reach the Supreme, but of all those various paths, uh, hardly one actually reaches the goal. Uh, first of all, they misunderstand the goal of, 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 of love of God, of transcendental realization, of yoga, and uh, they get sidetracked. Uh, and the primary sidetrack for the aspiring transcendentalist is the sidetrack where one becomes simply enamored by the Lord's effulgent energy. In other words, first of all, everyone knows within material existence we're subjected to so many pangs of material life and simply to get free of the miseries of life. Uh, many transcendentalists think that in and of itself is the goal of transcendental realization. In other words, we're so overtaken by the soul, which is constantly striving for, for, to experience its eternal, knowledgeable, blissful existence, is so overtaken in this world, either first by illusion where the soul actually says, well, I'm this body, and if I really want to enjoy, let me use this body to enjoy. So, as pointed out in the beginning of this purport, the majority of mankind is simply content with eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Just like the animals. They, they're actually no different. It's just a sophisticated process. Generally, you see in, in, in nature... An animal has a ter certain uh, taste for a particular type of food. Uh, birds like berries and uh, whatever else birds eat. I don't know. Worms. <laughs> Worms, yes. And uh, other species of life are attracted to different, different... Their tongue is attracted in different ways. And basically, they don't eat except what their tongue is attracted to. In the human life... Our palate is much wider, is it not? So we can enjoy, well, we don't enjoy the worms, but we enjoy <laughs> the berries, and we can enjoy, uh, you know, the sugar cane that the elephant enjoys, or we can enjoy so many various foodstuffs, and snails, well, I don't, yeah. I've never <laughs> had one of those myself, but <laughs> I've heard about them. <laughs> if in this advanced vehicle, because basically all these different bodies are simply different vehicles that the soul is, is in, and in these vehicles the soul tries to enjoy. 
So if in this advanced body where we have intelligence, we simply use our advanced intelligence to increase and try to enjoy more those animal propensities of eating, sleeping, mating, and dispending, in due course of time we become frustrated. We're never going to be, because we're spiritual in nature, it doesn't matter how much we eat or how much we sleep, how much we've made, how much we defend, none of those things are completely going to satisfy the soul. So therefore, the point, back to the point, the point being why are people, some people misled on the path of self-realization, of uh, transcendental knowledge. First of all, they just want to get free of the miseries. They want to get the free of the miseries of birth, death, old age, and disease. Because they only have experience, they only have experiential knowledge of what is in this world. And they see from a spiritual viewpoint that everything in the, nothing in this world satisfies the soul. They see that. And because that's the only thing that they have to base knowledge upon, they think that there cannot be any existence similar to this existence that is free of miseries. They can't conceive of a spiritual life which has eating, drinking, all the, all the comforts of life which doesn't have the inebriates. So, so they, therefore, for that class of spiritualists, that class of transcendentalists, they unfortunately fall into what's called the impersonalist view. Impersonalist means they don't realize that the Supreme can have his spiritual characteristics, his spiritual form, his spiritual sight, his spiritual taste, smell. They don't think that the, that the Supreme Lord or myself in my spiritual existence can have these things free of inebriates. So therefore, turn off. They simply want to turn off. Turn off material existence and merge into the energy of oneness. Let me become one with God. I'm part, I'm spiritual, I know I am God. I'm God, you're God, everybody's God. It's all God's energy. Let's just turn off the bad reactions of karma. Let's stop the cycle of birth and death. Let's turn off our karma like we turn down the fire when we're cooking and we're done, we turn down the fire. We're done cooking in material life. We're fed up with it. I'm done. I'm turning off the fire. So they go off, they meditate, and they have, they attain self-realization. And they attain, of course, the self-realization that they desire. The Supreme allows them to turn off all material inebriates, turn off all the reactions, turn off the continual cycle of samsara, and merge into the Supreme Energy. In this chapter, though, we'll note that Krishna is going to explain, first of all, his spiritual nature. First of all, what is God? What's he all about? Where does he exist? How can we experience, experience him in this world of duality because he has no duality in him? How can we experience? So that's what Krishna is going to reveal 
in this chapter. And it's so interesting. We note that in prior chapters, Krishna always, he was waiting and Arjuna asked a question and he responded to that question. Krishna is so anxious now as we get to the real essence of Bhagavad Gita in these, this, these middle six chapters. He's so anxious to explain the spiritual, spiritual life that he immediately begins speaking without being asked. Let me tell you, we just finished the sixth chapter. At the sixth, he explains of all the different practices of yoga, of all the different ways that we can yoke up with God, that we can connect with God, of all those different practices, devotional service, loving God with devotion, with all our heart, that is the topmost. And of all yogis, yogi nam apisarve samatgate nantaratmana, shradavan bhajate yomam same yukta tamomataha. And of all yogis, the one with great faith who always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me. He is most intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of all. So of all the different yogas, that Krishna's addressed earlier in Bhagavad Gita. The yoga of karma, the yoga of working for God, the yoga of karma, well, this karma karma, of course we have, we have first of all the karma where we follow the laws as given forth by various religion in the world, and specifically those laws given in the Vedas by God himself. We have all these different religions with the laws. First, karma. Karma means I follow the law to enjoy life. So there's karma and there's a karma. A karma means I follow the law, but I really have no desire for the result. Karma means I follow the law and I want the result. I want elevation to a higher planet. I want intelligence. I want a beautiful wife. I want a big car. I want a lot of opulence. I want a kingdom bigger than my father's kingdom. I want to become, I want to become, I want, I want, I want. So there's laws we could follow to get those things. Right, the righteous way to get them. So that's karma. Then there's a karma, which is, let me just work. I really don't have a desire but I have to work in the world because that's the nature of this world. So let me work without attachment. And then there's the karma. Well, let me just take whatever I want. Forget the law. If I walk into the store and I want something, I'll just take it. If I want to endure a woman, I'll just take her and enjoy her. Forget marriage, forget all that obligation. I'll just do what I want. That's the karma. V karma, well... When we break the law, what happens? We have to suffer. When we break the laws of karma as the Supreme gives them to us in the Vedas or whatever religious practice we subscribe to according to our condition in this material world, then by following that, by following that, then we, then we will get the result without a reaction. If I just take what I want without following nicely, the prescribed method of acquiring it, then there's going to be a reaction. In, in the society of man, what happens? In the society of man, well, they put you in handcuffs, they take you in front of the court, and they said, okay, all right, you want to enjoy a woman and you raped, you want to enjoy 
material opulence and you stole, you want to inst- in so many things. You wanted to exploit another person and you and you killed. So even in even in human society we there's punishment. What to speak of the society of the supreme. Of course his punishment is absolute. We may be able to escape the laws of man. In other words, we may get away with it. We may be, but you can't escape the laws of God because He's in our heart. He sees everything we do, and there's just there's no way you can get around that. It's there. Uh, this verse tonight: Out of many thousands among men, one may endeavor for perfection. Generally speaking, the endeavoring for perfection, for perfection. Those transcendentalists, the majority of them, and that's what Krishna is referring to here. One may endeavor for perfection, and of those, so first of all, the majority of people eat, drink, be merry, enjoy. They could care less about spiritual realization. They have no interest. Only when there is extreme distress, extreme need for money, as Krishna mentions in Bhagavad Gita, or a super-inquisitive nature, except for those times, uh, there's no real interest in God. Now, when there's a death in the family, or a close one dies, oh, where's God? Why have you re- forsaken me? Why, 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 why did this happen? Or, or please help me. I, uh, the banker's coming tomorrow, and I have to, I'm going to be out on the street. Please. You know, other than that, generally speaking, except for some... some some religious practice where we uh, have some token with God that, okay, I'm going to church and I'm going to confess what I've done wrong and then that means next week I can can go out and do all that again. It's cool. So out of many thousands of men, one may endeavor for perfection. One may actually say, may acquire. And the Vedic Vedic reference to that, they say, Atato Rama Jignasa. Now that we have this human form of life, we have superior intelligence. Now that we have that, then let me inquire. Tato Brahma Jignasa. What is my true spiritual nature? So out of those people who come to the human form of life, Krishna is saying, out of those many thousands of people, one may actually say, what the hell am I doing here? Where I come from? Where's God? Who is he? And how how do I find him? Of those who go after self-realization, the majority are content to simply free themselves of the misery and not go any further than that. And they generally are content with the impersonalist method of self-realization. But beyond that, so Krishna is saying, of all those people who have achieved perfection, The perfection Krishna is referring to here is the perfection of being freed from the laws of karma. Being freed from the influence of the material energy that keeps us bound up in this material world in the cycle of birth and death due to material desire, activity, and reaction. That's the perfection Krishna is referring to. But he's saying of those people that reach that perfection, that frees them from the laws of karma, 
and the cycle of samsara, repeated birth and death, hardly one knows me in truth. If you really think about the rarity of devotional service, of truly having knowledge of the Supreme Lord, which isn't encumbered by mundane speculation, if God actually tells you who he is and what he's all about, or someone who's actually met him face to face tells you, that's a very rare gift. And that's this process of devotional service. And that's what Krishna is talking about here, is hardly one knows me in truth. So many people think they know me that they don't. So that's the knowledge of Veda. That's the knowledge that's coming down from the Lord himself through disciplic succession. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprashnena sevaya upadex jantiche janam janinas tatvadarsina. The spiritual master who's seen the truth had darshan, darshina. He actually knows what is God. Because why? Because he's heard from authorities. Now that's the real distinction when we really talk about what is the key to understanding Bhagavad Gita? What is the key to understanding spiritual life? That key is our ability. And this ability is dependent on our faith. Our ability to understand spiritual life is based on our ability to hear from authorized sources and accept the knowledge that they impart to us. From our tiny perspective, just step back a minute and look. From our tiny perspective in this, on this tiny planet, in this universe, what real knowledge can we have of God and of his energies and of this material universe? If the sun's turned off, what can we see? If any one of our senses shuts down, if our ears stop, what can we hear? Everything that comes to us is a blessing. And everything that we, despite the fact that we truly did not make the body that we're in, we didn't decide what body we were going to have, we don't know what body we had last time, or we're so foolish to think that it's just a combination of elements. A man and a woman come together and all of a sudden the soul just is there. Wait, there's no soul. It's just a combination of matter. Oh, it came up. It, it came up from some slug and some mud and it evolved into a human... Come on. Give me a break. I mean... Anyway. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. You don't there. want to go there. <laughs> Anybody that thinks there's no existence of the soul, well, it's... It, What's the, what's the possibility of going beyond that? That it's simply a combination of matter. So similarly, if we really look, if we step back and look at it from our tiny perspective in this tiny body, and you've all seen these movies where, you know, they, from a very high vantage point they show, and it's just like a bunch of little, little ants running around. And you, they zoom in and who has it? It's us. We're human beings. From our tiny perspective, what can we know of the universe? What can we know of the creation of the universe? We don't, even, we don't even know what keeps our body going. 
We don't know how our liver works. We don't know how, how we digest the food. We don't know how the airs of life pass through our body. Now, we do if we hear from authorities, perfect yogis. They explain these things to us. But truly, modern science is not, has not provided any true knowledge about this. And they don't know there's a living body and there's a dead body and the elements and all the facilities are exactly the same. And they can't tell you what, what's, what's missing between that and the other. The key to our advancing to the topmost level of transcendental realization is fully dependent on our ability to hear from higher authority with faith. We advance according to that transcendental knowledge which is coming down in disciplic succession. And we advance as rapidly as we are as we allow ourselves to surrender to those directions and to that knowledge which is descending. That's the key to understanding Bhagavad Gita. That's the key to understanding devotional service. And when you really think about the process of devotional service, it's fully a gift. It's fully a gift. I mean, when we, when we come to uh, devotional service of the Lord, as explained in this verse, so many people are advanced spiritualists. So many people are able to distinguish between what is matter and what is spirit. So many transcendentalists are able to give up material desire. Of all those people, hardly one knows me in truth. What's Krishna's point here? Hardly one knows me. Well, then the question would be, well, how do I really know you? Well, how do we know anybody in this world? What's the best way to know someone? You could kind of nuzzle up to somebody that's in with their inner circle. So in the same way, we can gain knowledge of the Supreme by putting ourselves in contact with somebody who's in the inner circle. And I was thinking of that in regards to the holy names. I mean, there's, the Lord's unlimited. He has so many names. You know, we, we chant every week, you know. Oh my Lord, you have hundreds and millions of names and in these transcendental names, you've invested all your transcendental energies. So one way asks, well, why do we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare? Why not, you know, Jehovah, Allah, Buddha? I mean, these are all names of God. Emmanuel. I mean, all these different names of God are there. Why do we chant these names? And if you think about it, God has his intimate associates. Just like if we look at a king or a president or anybody, they also have their intimate family members. Now, in the house, in the inner house of the kingdom, in the palace, the knowledge, the, the way that the family communicates to one another in that intimate setting is much different than the way that common, the common people communicate with, say, the king. So the family members, they have their pet names. So they don't call the king the king. You know, the wife of the king doesn't say, oh, king, 
come on, let's go to bed. You're staying up too late. He doesn't say address him like that. He's addressed through an intimate name. So similarly, that's what that's why this chanting of Hare Krishna is so significant. These are God's intimate names. These are the names of the Lord that his most intimate associates use when they're addressing him. Krishna. Oh, Krishna. Oh, all-attractive. Oh, Rama, all-powerful. Hari, the person that takes away all my miseries. Hari, the supreme pleasure potency of the Lord. So these are. this is the significance of the chanting of Hare Krishna. It's more intimate. It's not that. All these names are transcendentally potent. But these are more potent because immediately, if, let's, let's say, for instance, the king is out walking through the street and that intimate name that his wife uses Oh, honey, or whatever it may be. If the king hears that immediately, whoa, where, where, you know, isn't it? That, that little pet name, whatever it may be, if that's spoken in public, the king would immediately turn his head, would he not? So simply, these names of Krishna, Rama, Hari, these are the intimate names of the Supreme. And that's why when we chant these names, especially without offense, when we chant these names, then the Supreme Lord, who's known as Lord, you know, Allah, Buddha, you know, so many names, he immediately turns, oh, somebody's calling me by my intimate name. Where'd you learn that? Who told you that? And you notice that who told you that? Remember, a few months back, we reviewed the offenses to the holy name? What was one of the offenses? To explain the potency of the holy name to someone who's who's not qualified. Wait, what? Who's not qualified to hear it. Who has no faith. So therefore it's they're gonna be offensive. Yeah. So don't well, except for the devotees of the Lord are so merciful, even though it's <laughs> it's it's generally not a good thing. They're so kind that they they come come out and immediately say in public. It's just like a guru, this, the disciple of a, of a guru. Once he went to his guru and he says, "I'd like to be your disciple. Can you give me the secret mantra whereby I can be freed of all the miseries of life and I can obtain anything I want?" So the guru said, "Yes, I can give it to you on one condition." The condition is you can't tell anybody this secret mantra because once you learn this mantra, you're going to have all that life has to offer you and you're going to be able to do whatever you want in life and freed from all the miseries of existence. So you can't give the mantra away. The disciple said, no problem, it's fine. So he got the mantra and immediately went out into the town square and he's screaming the mantra, everybody, you must chant this mantra. <laughs> Hello. The spiritual master said, "Why did you? Why did you do this? This is this is not a public mantra." He says, "Well, I'm not gonna. What kind of a person would I be if I kept this private and only to myself? <laughs> <laughs> if it's this good, what you've given me, I must share it with everybody." That's kind of the the mentality of Krishna's devotees. They they go out of their way, even at their <laughs> own risk, to spread the holy name around.
in the next 10 minutes we'll try to cover these 12 verses real quickly. <laughs> yeah, we, we chant in public. We chant in public. That's a very special circumstance because of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's advent. Very special circumstance. Generally speaking, no, these things aren't... You know, this, is, this is the age of Kali. This is... This is the this whole Sankirtan movement is working under the special auspices of Lord Chaitanya and his extraordinary mercy. You know, generally generally not there to mankind. Once in a day of Brahma. That's like eight billion years that that this little period is there. So, this chapter. As we mentioned earlier, Krishna he doesn't wait for a question from Arjuna. He immediately starts explaining this is the nature of the Supreme. By practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, so end of last chapter he said of all those that practice yoga, he who remind, remembers me, he's the highest of all. So immediately the Lord is, is making the point that there's so many disciplines by which we can advance ourselves spiritually, but... If you take to this discipline of simply knowing me as I am by hearing from authority, that's the best yoga. By knowing me in full. Well, how do we know in full? Again, the only way to know someone in full is to have intimate association with those people that are in full knowledge. So, full consciousness of me with mind attached to me can know me in full, free from doubt. Again, doubt. For the doubting soul, what's the question of spiritual advancement? How, then one would ask, well, how do we get free from doubt? Well, the first way we can get free from doubt is to, we have to, what's the opposite of doubt? Faith. So how do we develop faith? Faith is developed in the association of those that are faithful, that have knowledge. The nice and beautiful thing of Krishna consciousness is this is realized knowledge. When we chant these holy names, when we engage in fulfilling the order of the spiritual master, we actually feel our heart become cleansed and we feel and know ourselves through experience, through experience that we're advancing in spiritual life. And we're not experiencing that advancement, well, we turn up the fire a little bit. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, Arjuna, this knowledge in full. I'm going to explain who I am. We've talked about, in the earlier chapters, about coming to the platform of self-realization through different processes, through karma yoga, through sankhya yoga, through dhyana yoga. Now, I've told you the highest yoga is the yoga where you learn just to love me. Now, well, if you don't know me, how are you going to love me? So I'm going to explain a little bit about myself to you. That's the beginning of this seventh chapter. And I'm going to explain both the external energy, this world that you are experiencing. This is in the second verse. Both phenomenal, everything that we see in this world, and numinous, the spiritual knowledge which underlies this world. That is me and my spiritual energy. We chanted the third verse. Hardly anybody knows this knowledge. But I'm going to give it to you because why? Well, you're my friend. 
and you, you have some affection for me. So let me tell you about myself. First of all, first four, my external energy. You experience it every day in your life. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. These are my external energy. They're material. They have no life. Spirit is life, the living force. So these inanimate objects, they become adamant when I glance upon them and impregnate my part and parcel living entities, my spiritual energy, which is you. There is another superior energy of mine, which comprises of the living entities who are exploiting the resources of this material inferior nature. Well, we don't need to talk about that much. Just open your eyes and look around. Every living entity in this world is exploiting the energy for their own enjoyment. Are they not? From the little, little microbes up to our intelligent human form of life, the majority of us are simply takers. And we take from, we take from this world, we take from each other, and we simply try to enjoy things for ourselves with little, if any, concern for others. The majority of people really are like that. Now, they may put on a facade, and we know those facades, and we see them in life, but when it really comes down to it, one person matters the most. Me. I, me, mine. Isn't that I, me, mine, I, me, mine, I, me, mine. Somebody sang a song like that once. I think it was the Beatles. All created beings have their source in these two natures. So Krishna is explaining these two natures come together. My external potency and my spiritual potency, which is all these living entities. All living entities, they, they are manifest through these energies. Of all that is material and all that is spiritual in this world, know for certain that I am both the origin and dissolution. But... Although we see the external material energy, earth, water, air, fire, humir, apod, lalobayu, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, these things and the spirit, they come together. Then Krishna gives a, it's a very key verse, text 7. It's very interesting. Mataparataram nanyat kaschin asti dananjaya mai sarvam idam throktam sutre mani gana iva. O conqueror of wealth, there is no truth superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread. Now think about this verse. What does that mean? As pearls are strung on a thread. All the pearls rest on what? The thread. What's the interesting thing about a string of pearls? We don't see the thread. The pearls are there. We know that something's supporting them. Something's holding them up. But we don't see it. So Krishna's explaining here, this is the way you should see the material world. Everything here is resting on my energy. I'm the source of both the material energy and your very self, the spiritual energy, but I'm unseen. 
hard to detect. Only if you come up close, spread the pearls apart. Krishna is giving a little key to us as to how we need to see things in the world. As pearls are strung on a thread, that invisible thread of the Supreme Lord permeates and pervades everything. And the everything that it permeates and pervades is also the Lord's energy. So now he begins to explain a little bit of the energy and how we can see him in that energy. I'm the taste in water. I'm the light of the sun and the mood and the syllable om and the Vedic mantras. I'm the sound and ether, the ability in men. I'm the original fragrance of the earth. And I am the heat and fire. I am the life of all that lives and I am the penance of the aesthetics. I'm the original fragrance of the earth. What is that fragrance? Just imagine, if you have a seed to a rose, and you, does, this, does that have any scent? A seed for a rose bush. Does it have a scent? No. But when you add it to the earth, and it grows, oh yes. then the scent is there. Krishna is explaining. Similarly, that's how his energy is. It's coming together and when you take the bija that when you see that seed is put in contact with the earth then the fragrance comes out then the life force gives out the fragrance that is there so again a key as to how we can see the Lord in everything I am the light of the sun and the moon without the light of the sun and the moon we're where is it? The sun keeps us warm and the, and the moon nourishes us. Take away the, the energy of the moon and there would be no vegetation to feed us. All the energy of the vegetables of life come through the energy of the moon. I am the heat in fire. Again, the heat in fire. If you look, what's, what do we burn? If you burn a fuel, a wood... The wood in and of itself, until it's ignited, the heat doesn't come out. But it's there, dormant. Similarly, I'm the digestive. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the digestive fire. We eat, and if the fire of digestion isn't there, there's no, there's no breaking down of the foodstuffs, and there's no energy going to the body. So at least in Vedic culture, we understand that that... that that fire in the stomach is so very important. O son of Prita, know that I am the original seed of all existence, the intelligence of the intelligent, and the prowess of all powerful men. I am the strength of the strength of the strong, devoid of passion and desire. I am sex life, which is not contrary to religious principles. O Lord of the Bards. Note that all statements, states of being be they of goodness, passion, or ignorance, are manifested by my energy. I am in one sense everything, but I am independent. I am not under the modes of material nature, for they, on the contrary, are within me. Again, Krishna is making the point here that the, the energy of the... the fact that you only have knowledge of these modes of material nature. They conduct... Everything that we do in this world is done under the influence of this potency of either goodness, passion, and ignorance. 
But Krishna's saying, I'm the, I am that potency behind these influences of nature, be they goodness, passion, or ignorance. Next week, we'll go on beyond that. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah, practical question. Yes. You know, the, 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 the digest, digestion fire, is there, you have a recommendation for that? How to you really get the fire burning? Chant. <laughs> No, no. Practically, we just have to. We don't eat too much or eat too little. You know. We, oh, but nothing special to take. Oh, I'm sure that there's yes. there's Vedic. I'm sure Megan knows the Vedic cures, or there's devotees that, that know that science better than I. There's a way to keep the fires of digestion running. It's interesting. I'll tell you one one. I'll relate one quick story. Regarding Prabhupada, of course, Prabhupada is older, life's older man when he came to the United States and started to preach. And he always had that problem with digestion, his digestive fire. And uh, Shruti Kirti, one of his servants, uh, explained in, one, in one, uh, one interview when he was talking about Prabhupada that Prabhupada, he, would, he was accustomed to eating at a fixed time every day. And his body became like conditioned to that. And his food had to be on time. And he always had to have hot chapatis because it was difficult for him. That was a difficulty for him was digestion. And one day the cook did not prepare his meal on time. His, you know, and she was severely chastised that I, you know, it's hard for me to get the digestive digestive juices going to get that, you know. So I have to eat every day at the same time. You cannot be late with my meal. What's More that? than that, there's, you know, there's certain, that's the whole science of, uh, of, uh... What's a better way to put, uh, put it in today's terms, digestive fire? Would you say indigestion or lack of stomach acid? Well, we understand that the digestive fire is the energy of the supreme. I mean, you can the scientists, of course, think it's a combination of juices. And, and it wouldn't be like a hunger or indigestion. Or, no, the ability like, the ability to digest food <laughs> would be what we're speaking of. The ability to digest food. Oh, okay. And you notice people that are sick; they can't properly digest their right. food. They have too much mucus. Right. <laughs> I have not had that problem. Yet. Well, there are many. I mean, there are many things from yoga that address that digestive fire. You know, asanas. Right. Exactly. Pranayamas and you know all kinds of things um, and choices of food and uh, eating at the beginning of the day as opposed to. Any other questions, comments, corrections? Well, there was one verse that brought to mind when you gave the example of the pearls on the screen. One of my old friends sharing the intimacy of God with others that may not be ready. And one of the things my old ministry always told us is 
don't scan the pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. And that's what it, it reminded me of mm -hmm. that old saying. And I like um, how you put the, spray, the pearls on the string. You can't see the string. But I guess that is what's really holding the pearls together. Yeah. Right. So God is really holding it all together. But I guess we are only feeling and seeing it tangibly because we don't see the string. Anyway, I just thought that was mm -hmm. and, the, and the interesting thing about, about, about this practice, about this knowledge of Krishna consciousness is, yes, it's a fact we don't, we don't cast pearls before swine, generally speaking. But the Lord is so, so munificent in this particular age of man. When man's in his worst condition, God basically really extends himself. And he extends himself through his holy name. So even if somebody doesn't have full appreciation for the Lord and his name, just by hearing it, they're going to be benefited without, even if they don't have the appreciation. That's the significance of this chanting of Hare Krishna. That they're going to receive spiritual benefit because it is God. He and His name are transcendentally potent. They're no different. So he's going to, they're going to be benefited even if they laugh, even if they... It's so purifying that it will... It has a miraculous effect despite... Despite the worst of us, it'll bring out the it 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 gives us the best. So that's that's the significance of this this uh, chanting of Hare Krishna or any name of God. It's not sectarian. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you.